magical realism. Something everybody says, but nobody can define it, and everyone else agrees with them. <laughs> Let's talk about some of the elements of faith in this story and what it could mean for the town coming up. I'm gonna fly away. And welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. And I am Enormous Crypto. And if you are new to the Codex Cantina, we take a conversational approach to discussing and understanding the literature that we read. Today, A Very Old Man with Enormous Wings by Gabriel Garcia Marquez, one of the most classic stories of all time. If you are down for discussions like this, make sure you hit that subscribe button for me. And as always, we start off with publication information. And the story was published in 1968, and our version was translated by Gregory Urbasa. And we'll leave two links in the description below, one where you can read it for free, and another where you can listen to it for free. So enjoy. So affectionately referred to as Gabo or Gabito, Gabriel Garcia Marquez became the face of Latin literature and for good reason, releasing 100 Years of Solitude, one of the most studied Latin texts. And stay tuned, we will be doing that one here shortly. But today we got to talk about this short story, which is easily one of the most important and best short stories ever created. We've got themes of faith versus authority. We've got magical realism with angels that can fly and a spider woman who could talk, right? <laughs> <laughs> that part was a little bit creepy. Well, I'm told that if you can accept the magical realism, if the characters just accept it, that that's what that is. But I don't know if I totally accept that. And, uh, it seemed a little weird to me and uh, maybe a little bit questionable, but... It seems to me magical realism is where the, the setting of the world is our world and maybe there's just some slight magical exaggerations that don't seem like as big of a deal or, or it's just kind of part of a thing. It's, like a, it's a minor fantasy to what is ultimately a real universe is kind of how I would describe it. I also kind of took it as that I think the story is not trying to take itself too serious, even though it has some very serious subject matter embedded within it. Yeah. And that's the same way with 100 Years of Solitude when he wrote that, right? Like even some of the very graphic scenes of that are still very somewhat lighthearted, but but still very heavy. So let's get into the plot of this and then let's start breaking down what the story could mean. I'm going to call the old man an angel throughout this, but I do understand the purpose and potential conversation that maybe he's not really an angel. We don't know but I'm going to call him an angel for clarity instead of a very old man every time I get to this. So after three days of torrential rain, a family struggles with caring for their sick baby. The father, Palayo, he comes back weak after dumping crabs in the sea under a terrible rains and uh, finds an old man <laughs> laying in his, his courtyard face down with these huge, enormous wings, right? He can't get up. Yeah, I think this is where you would start questioning very quickly, uh, what do I do with this guy? And that's when the couple go and get the neighbor next door who knows everything about life and death and say, what do we do with this man? And they kind of think he may be a fallen angel or an angel of death that was coming for their child. So what do you do when you have an angel of death in your backyard? You lock him up and uh, a, a circus axe kind of start coming around to look at him and see what's going on with this angel uh, locked up in a cage. That's where they belong, right? <laughs> so soon Father Gonzaga arrives with his suspicions of this alleged angel that can't speak Latin and doesn't know how to greet them the way that a proper angel would. So he's got a right to roam for confirmation. <laughs> and uh, more and more people come to see the angel. And interestingly, the wife starts charging for admission to see the angel. Points on that coming. But Palayo's family becomes rich off of this. 
Soon a traveling carnival arrives with a woman who is transformed into a spider. And admission was cheaper and people could ask her questions and interact with her. And Palayo's crowd soon dissipated and nobody wanted to see his angel anymore. But that's a good thing because now Palayo can kind of spend his money. Uh, Father Gonzaga can finally get some rest as opposed to his insomnia. And uh, with their new money, Palayo builds a new mansion. His wife gets fancy clothes. You know, I forgot to mention earlier, the child starts to get better, to grow up, that sort of thing. And then kind of through neglect, the cage breaks down holding the angel. And the angel just, he's like everywhere. He's just kind of like following them around. Yeah, doesn't he just like kind of walk through their house and bug them? And they're like, leave us alone. I'm like, uh, okay, that's random. Yeah, and I think there's a very specific literary point to that. We'll get to that. But eventually the angel starts to grow feathers buzzard feathers of a sort crow feathers and uh flies away and plot yeah out into the sunset i can picture it now this is one of those stories where you can focus on so many different things right you have themes of death about how everything is dying in this world and you have the crabs and and uh the the angel even you can focus on the fact that there's like all these acrobatics going around the the freak show and what what draws people's attention or what the town's focus is but i I would be disingenuous if I didn't say in my heart, there is so many faith and religious symbols in this. I have to go with with this angle, and I'm going to defend this angle here, uh, kind of encompassing kind of what I think is a way to interpret the story. But I realize it's it's not the only way. But I think it's probably the e- easiest way to get into this story and that you can set aside all of that kind of window dressing and the setting. While it's important, I think that the, this story encapsulates the idea of what is faith, what does faith mean to an individual, and what is he trying to say, people's interpretations of the church and faith. We open up with this quote, the world had been sad since Tuesday. Sea and sky were a single ash gray thing. And the sands of the beach, which on March nights glimmered like powdered light, had become a stew of mud and a rotten shellfish. So immediately we need to be asking ourselves, why would Garcia attempt to paint this world as as sickly, as dying? And we have these references to like floods and to angels. You know, there's three days that they were going to send him out on this raft, and and three is a very common number to refer to rebirth, and those were elements of rebirth in the story, that it made me really question what is the focus of this story, right? Is this family, Palayo's family, really the focus? Because the narrator spent so much time describing the town and the town's reaction to this angel, that arguably the town might kind of be one of the main characters in the same way that we see uh, William Faulkner use the town in A Rose for Emily. It's the it's the town's surface reaction and surrounding of Palayo that really give motion to the story, I feel like. I 100% agree. I think that the townsfolk are supposed to represent um, that without the disbelief of religion, people are going to interpret this literally. And without that, I think he's trying to say, hey, you're not going to get the positivity out of this that you need to have in your life. And he's just he's breaking down, I think, some of those those religious norms that we see. We have a quote kind of supporting that. On the following day, everyone knew that a flesh and blood angel was held captive in Palayo's house. Against the judgment of the wise neighbor woman, for whom angels in those times were the fugitive survivors of a spiritual conspiracy, 
they did not have the heart to club him to death. So we don't have like a normal reaction to what could potentially be a miracle in this situation. People are going to club this this angel. There's people that were talking about taking the, the wings and rubbing their ailments with it. There's people that wanted to stud him out to breed a race of angels. <laughs> like the town is very specifically not reacting to the miracle. They're not putting... They're not putting a normal reaction onto what would be a very miraculous event. Yeah, I don't think they see it as a miracle. And I think that's kind of the point of the story with the religion is that you can see miracles and little tiny day things in life. And then you have something huge literally fall in your lap, a living, breathing angel. And you're just like, meh, because we get so desensitized. And I think that made me the point that he's trying to make is like, Take the little miracles when you can get them because they are far and few between. And it doesn't have to be something so dramatic as an angel falling into your house for you to have miracles in your life. Well, you'll notice that he even said that the townspeople have sterile hearts. So when we go to talk about this religion, you'll notice that there's actually several, several biblical references in this, specifically around failed miracles. You have the blind man that can't see, you had the crippled man who couldn't walk, and the leper who wasn't cured, which is a very specific reference to some of the miracles that Jesus performed in the Bible, where he did cure leprosy, he did cure blindness, and he did cure uh, you know, a person who couldn't walk, could suddenly walk afterwards. And here we're seeing that faith couldn't perform these activities in this story. I do like how that he has them not actually fail, fail, right? Like the the leopard had sunflowers grow out of his spots. I thought it was very, very strange that, again, the townsfolk and the people aren't getting what they feel is a true miracle or a cure. They're getting some type of offshoot. And again, I think that's kind of the point of the story here is that you aren't always going to get what you expect out of life when you think a miracle from a godlike figure is supposed to be X, Y, and Z. It's not going to be that way because we can't fathom what it truly is. It's people are expecting faith to look a specific way, right? Father Gonzaga said, well, you're supposed to speak Latin. You're supposed to know how to greet us holy men when we come to see you. Why aren't you acting the way my faith tells you a miracle, an angel ought to be acting? And it's this idea that we're, we're supposed to be, we're putting as people faith into this box, right? What do we feed the angel? Uh, the neighbor says we're supposed to throw some mothballs at him, but yeah, he didn't really <laughs> like those, right? It's, it's this idea that, that these people have this expectations of faith, right? And when the angel doesn't perform them, what happens? This spider woman that was allegedly, you know, struck by lightning from God uh, that can talk and was transformed— well, she's cheaper to go talk to, right? She's she's something that I can interact with. The people of the story are literally seduced away from faith by what I think is the spider woman could represent knowledge, right? Because they can interact with her. They can talk with her. It's something that they can tangentially see. They can't talk with this fallen angel, alleged fallen angel, right? They can't interact with faith because faith isn't built on knowledge. It's built literally on a belief system. And that's what the people are seduced away by because they can't use their faith to believe in this angel is a one way I would interpret it. I would take that interpretation and go one step further, right? That the institution, the establishment being talked about of the church here, and the father has kind of failed in his uh, role of, you know, guiding them through faith. And then the faith is subverted by the temptation of 
the the spider woman and that these people aren't doing what should be done uh you know according to their faith and i think that overall the story is attacking the church a little bit saying that this institution has kind of set these standards for you people and if that's the only way that you think it's supposed to be I'm here to tell you that your angels and your miracles and your faith may not look exactly the way that you want them to. Well, I I completely agree that he's attacking the institution of church, right? Because, you know, Rome had to go through how many different emissaries and how many different talks, and they came back with these absurd points, right? Like, how many angels can fit onto the head of a pin? Do, do (laughs) Do you know what that's a reference to? That's um, oh, who who's the 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 guy that says that? Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas. Yeah. So so an old theological philosopher, I guess, is one way to describe him, uh, has a very famous you know little section about how, could angels coexist in a single spot at the same time, right? Like they're not earthly and physical like we are. Could multiple angels exist in one spot at the same time? And this idea of you know how many angels could fit onto a pinhead and dance, I feel like was kind of like a, a little reference to to that kind of joke. Because the idea of that whole Aquinas thing is that people can sometimes get so lost on in one one person's view of of just the stupidest things. And uh, you know, your town, your village is burning down around you, and you're sitting here on your hill ready to die about whether angels can exist in the same place or not, right? Like it's it's what are the things that really matter? Are you recognizing a miracle in front of you, or are you worried about all these little elements of faith and putting things in the box and having expectations and going through this bureaucracy of the church uh institution? And is that sidetracking you from recognizing the beautiful things in front of you? Where's his halo? Why in his why are his wings white? Why can he? Why is he speaking in tongues and not English or you know Portuguese or Russian or whatever? Yeah, I, I think that the this is for sure saying. Come on, it, you have to be give a, a little. There has to be leeway if we're all going to come together on what faith truly means. Well, and it becomes that conversation we just had too about faith versus facts. When are you so worried about the facts versus actually having faith in the moment? Yeah, for sure. So let me ask you, Crypto, here's another specific one that I think is probably very specific, but the wife started charging for admission to see the angel. Did you have any interpretations on that part? No, I don't. I don't know where you're going with. Well, I'm not 100% sure, but there are... I mean, we have to remember this was written in 68, but there are, you know, when I was traveling through Italy, you couldn't charge to have people enter a practicing church institution, Catholic institution. Oh, okay. Okay. Now it's been 10, 15 years, but the, the topic of stole fees too, about what you're allowed, what services you're allowed to even charge for from a church perspective is kind of a hot button. And, you know, Gabo was raised Catholic. Now at his funeral, there was questions whether he was actually a practicing Catholic or not is another thing, right? Colombia, a very Catholic country. But um, I couldn't help but wonder, is he potentially kind of taking a little shot at at these people that are trying to charge and make money off of faith, make money off of these miracles, as opposed to, you know, not charging these fees for services? Okay, so sort of like indulgences, buying your way in. I could see that, right? Well, yeah. And, and you'll notice, too, this is the funniest part that we talked about earlier in the plot. So they put him in this cage, did they need to? Because where did he go once he got out of the cage? He just followed around the family in their house. 
And you had that quote in the beginning, in spite of his tremendous efforts, couldn't get up, impeded by his enormous wings. So his own wings, whether we think that's a symbol of what this man's own faith could be, or what is it representative of the town's faith and the town has lost faith. So he's lost his, his ability to fly. We don't know. Um, But his wings, whatever they represent are what's holding him back. Now here's what's interesting is we have that quote. What surprised him most, however, was the logic of his wings. They seemed so natural and on that completely human organism that he couldn't understand why other men didn't have them too. So to me, this is saying everybody could have wings in this magical realism. There's no reason we couldn't have our own wings of faith, our own ability to believe and recognize, you know, faith when in miracles when we see them is, is how I would interpret it. Yeah, I think the wings probably are, quote, like his burden, so to speak. And I think this is something kind of like we just had, you know, a holiday season like with Santa Claus and the idea that he thrives on faith and belief and that magic comes from children believing in him. And this guy kind of has the same thing. Like maybe he necessarily isn't an angel, but he gets this power from the belief of other people in him that he is an angel. I I don't know if he is or not. So, So here's my last question of the night. Is this man an angel? That's a tough one. I, I kept I keep going back and forth and saying, well, yeah, there's they, obviously the little boy gets better and then the angel gets kind of sick because he's giving him his ethereal energy, <laughs> I think. And then once the little boy is better and they aren't necessarily treating him bad anymore, they're just kind of indifferent to him. He's finally able to not muster up enough energy, faith to get away. But then it's like he doesn't fit that norm of an angel. So my own expectations are making me doubt my own self. So I don't know. I, I I don't think there's an answer, honestly. I agree. I think you can apply whatever interpretation you want onto this. Because let's say your heart, you're one of those people that's like, yeah, it was an angel of death, right? Because cause the neighbor said it. She knows everything about life and death. <laughs> you know, when, when he <laughs> couldn't take that little boy, suddenly um, the boy got better. Like, obviously, there's some type of connection here. You could have a whole talk just on how this angel and this boy are connected. But... Is it that he really was an angel in death and was there to kill him and couldn't? Or was he actually there to heal the little boy? And once that little boy was fine and moving on in the end, you'll notice that's when he sprouted his buzzard wings or whatever and flew away. Crow wings, I can't remember what it is. So was he actually an angel of healing? I I, I don't know. I, th- I think you really can interpret it multiple ways. And you can pick specific facts and, and try to argue one way or the other. But I think it's really just going to come down to a reader's interpretation of, of what that angel accomplished on earth. You sure. And you could even say that he was not an angel at all. And that this is a placebo effect that they believed in him so much that it was not a miracle that an angel showed up and they're like, yeah, there's, there's the angel. You know, he's not exactly what I expected, but maybe it'll help my kid get better and the kid gets better. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Gabriel Garcia Marquez, incredible writer. We will put a playlist down below for you to check out our 100 Years of Solitude as we're, we're about to push that out too. Guys, if you enjoyed today's conversation, please help us out with some shares. Uh, put an emoji, you know, comment down below. We appreciate everything that you got. We're moving into our wrap-ups and ratings. Crypto argued one of Latin America's, if not Latin America's, most important short story of all time. Do you agree with that assessment? Oh, man. 
I think I think Clarice Lispector would be mad if I said yes, but I think she might be mad if I said no. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but I'm definitely going to rank this one a nine. Uh, I love this story. I thought that it had everything you could want out of a story. Um, I love the conversation. I love the analytical. I love the story itself. I love the message that it sends. Uh, it's so many teachable moments. Um, you can teach vocab and you can have conversations and discussions and a great uh, you know, debate argument over this. Uh, there's no wrong way to interpret, I feel like. I feel like that he just he nailed every aspect of this story. I don't think it's perfect. Um, it'd be nice to have a little bit more closure, but I think that adds that element of uh, pizzazz to the story of the angel flying away, or did he? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna just on a personal level, um, I'm gonna disagree. I'm gonna go with perfect ten out of ten. I think, you know, this is one of those stories that you can teach students how to thread arguments together, right? So if you want to write your angle about death, you know, and how there's so much death in here in terms of the crabs and sort of the people, the ailments, if you wanted to do the faith angle like we did, you even have like kind of this whole circus acrobatic, you know, dog and pony show with the spider woman. And they talked about how like acrobats were flying over the crowd when they were watching it. I just think it's such a great story where you can teach students to string together arguments of how to defend an interpretation, which, which, you know, interpretations are my favorite part about literature. So perfect 10 out of 10 story for me. Yes. It's a good score. Nice job. Well, all right, guys, we post videos two to three times a week. We'd appreciate you guys joining us on the journey, hitting that subscribe button to check us out. Una out. Peace.